from deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about what you, how you've spent your weekend. And don't I'm not asking for pity. <laughs> I spent my weekend watching all the yakking about the Mueller report. Well, it beat reading the Mueller report, uh, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get around to it. Promise. I, I started. I got to about page eight, I think. But uh, I did subject myself to all the yakking, as I say. And a uh, lot, lot of a uh, lot of carbon dioxide was produced this morning by um, all of that. I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's a carbon capture solution yet for those shows. But it, snark aside, one mini factoid did seem to emerge from the f- fuselage, or as one reporter I saw on CNN said last week, the fuselage of verbiage, sorry, about uh, the Mueller report. And it came from the king of the fuselage, America's mayor. Whatever happened to that? I don't think it's the same thing that happened to America's team. And America's newsroom. Um, and America's weather, which if Sean Hannity did, it would be sun's rising in the West again. Um, the mayor, as I say, Mr. Mr. Giuliani, in the midst of a of a you know what storm. Did utter something that could be proven or disproven by something I'm I'm now imagining called reporting. He said that. um Ms. Veselnitskaya, you know, the Russian lawyer who met with uh, Trump Jr. and Paul Manafort and some others at the notorious Trump Tower meeting, had the day before, the morning of, and the morning after that meeting, had three meetings with Glenn Simpson. If you're not following this story obsessively, Glenn Simpson was the head of Fusion GPS, an opposition research firm that was hired first by Republicans and then by Democrats, to do oppo research on Donald Trump and and uh, commissioned the uh, so-called Steele dossier. Now, I, you know, Rudy said it. It's probably not true, but it might be. And one way to find out would be if somebody tried to find out um, in the welter of stuff going on on the Yak shows, it, it just generated a bunch of yelling and arguing, which is delightful in itself. But um, it just sits there. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what it means. I don't know why he would do that. I don't know anything about that. I just know this, that it, in the midst of all that other stuff, it stood out as a possible fact. Speaking of which, we learned, I know this much from the Mueller report, he took the opinion of the Office of Legal Counsel in the Justice Department to heart when it said a president, a sitting president, maybe even a standing president, maybe even a running president or a swimming president cannot be indicted for a criminal act, uh, which framed his unwillingness to come to a conclusion about obstruction of justice. If, if he took it to heart, that OLC opinion, shouldn't he have let us know that right away two years ago? Because we wouldn't have expected what we, I think, all expected one way or the other. And um, arguably, uh, if, if he knew that the uh, uh, 
special counsel was taking that position, Donald Trump might not have tried to obstruct justice. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to present Let Us Try, a ballad of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Let us try to stem the tide To beautify our countryside We offer you our hand Let us try When they offer you their hand, don't take it. That's the... uh, that's what we learned this week from uh, a report published in Scientific American. The $14 billion network of levees and flood walls that was built around greater New Orleans after 2005's flood was uh, marketed as a seemingly invincible bulwark against flooding. It was completed, you may not know this, just 11 months ago. They started it in 2006. So 11 months after the Army Corps of Engineers, the Let Us Try people completed one of the largest public works projects in world history, the Army Corps says the system will stop providing adequate protection in as little as four years. Why? Rising sea levels and uh, sinking land. Who could have... Why didn't anybody... The growing vulnerability of the New Orleans area is forcing the Army Corps to begin assessing repair work for which they would like some more money, you see. They would raise hundreds of miles of levees and flood walls. These systems that maybe were protecting us before are no longer going to be able to protect us without adjustments, says uh, Emily Vuxton of an environmental group. Before, like 11 months would be all the before we had, you see. She th- thinks the work is necessary. The uh, Army Corps completed a final component, the uh, Scientific American way of saying it is, that final component that involves pumps. The final component that involves pumps, if you don't remember this story, was because the first set of pumps the Army Corps installed way back in 2006 were found by an, a whistleblower, who you've heard on this program, were found by her to be defective by design. And after a long period of, no, they're not, they're perfect, they um, decided to replace them. And then the bidding process for replacing them was found questionable, and then they had to do that again. The levees, you see, are losing height as they start to settle, a natural phenomenon. Nobody told the Corps about that, apparently, because natural, you know, they don't do natural phenomena, and they don't make money off it. And it's exacerbated by the soft soils in southern Louisiana. Nobody told them about that either, apparently. Some flood walls are built into these levees that are losing height. They're made of earth, you see. It's earth. The global incidence of sea level rise is also contributing to the inadequacy of the levees, according to the Army Corps in its Federal Register notice at the beginning of the month. Apparently nobody had told them about the global incidence of sea level rise before or during the process where they might have made adjustments, you see. It's happening a little bit faster than our projections in 2007 said the Army Corps spokesperson. Guess they update those projections every, I don't know, 15 years or so. Numerous studies in recent years have warned of New Orleans' unusual vulnerability, including one by the Natural, National Academy of Sciences. The public may think the system was built and think it's done. They look 
at that levee as a static monolith, says the director of coastal community programs for the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation and Environmental Group. But the crisis never really was over, he says. We improved the system, but we have always been under threat, unquote. Sea level rise raises questions about whether the protective system should be built to a higher standard. It was uh, Bob Marshall, environmental reporter, whom you heard on this program a couple weeks ago, who first broke the news that the new system was built to a lower standard than the one that failed in 2005. And that was with the complicity, if not the enthusiastic cooperation, of the Army Corps of Engineers. But, you know, they'd like to try again because they're the let us try people. Hello, welcome to the show.
From a newly vulnerable New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. Um, Never Too Late Department, ladies and gentlemen. News from the Never Too Late Department coming just on time. The United States has launched a multi-million dollar cleanup operation of an airbase in Vietnam where Agent Orange is stored. The 10-year program unveiled more than four decades after the end of the Vietnam War. It's over? Will cost $183 million. I got that on me. The site at Bien Hoa Airport outside Ho Chi Minh City, we called it Saigon, is considered the most contaminated site in the country. And that's saying something. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of dioxin over there. Or Agent Orange was a defoliant sprayed by U.S. forces to destroy jungles in order to keep the enemy from hiding in the jungles. You know, with the leaves and the thing. And the monkeys. It contained dioxin, Agent Orange did, which is one of the most toxic, toxic chemicals known to man. But we're working on, you know, more toxic chemicals that we might know in the future. So stand by. It has been linked to increased rates of cancers and birth defects. What hasn't? You know? Vietnam says several million people have been affected by Agent Orange, including 150,000 children born with severe birth defects. But there's, a, there's Chanel stores now in, in uh, Ho Chi Minh City. So I guess it was... Bien, at Bien Hoa, the chemical has contaminated the soil and seeped into nearby rivers while we've been waiting to launch the cleanup. See. The amount of dioxin in the area is four times higher than that found at Da Nang Airport, where Bob Hope used to come. Elkie Summer, isn't she wonderful? Isn't she something? I'll tell you. I want to tell you. Oh, sorry. Where a similar operation was completed in November. They cleaned up Da Nang. They got rid of Elkie. A statement from USAID, which is behind the cleanup, described the site as the largest remaining hotspot of dioxin in Vietnam. Says the U.S. ambassador to the country, the fact that two former foes are now partnering on such a complex task is nothing short of historic. I know. My cockles are thoroughly warmed. More than 80 million liters of Agent Orange were sprayed by U.S. forces over South Vietnam between 1962 and 1971. From the 1960s, doctors there began to see a sharp rise in birth defects, cancers, and other illnesses linked to exposure to the chemical. The U.S. compensates U.S. veterans exposed to Agent Orange, but not Vietnamese citizens. Yeah, it's a wonderful partnership we have. As I say... The cockles, they're sweating. And tell me that this doesn't come as a surprise. Six months after agents from Saudi Arabia murdered and dismembered the body of Jamal Khashoggi, companies which, you know, said they were kind of thinking twice about investing in Saudi Arabia are no longer shying away from it. The movie theater giant AMC says it's moving ahead with ambitious expansion plans for dozens of cinemas there, according to the New York Times. Hundreds of investors thronged to place $100 billion in orders for the first international bond sale tied to Aramco, the state-owned oil company. Google has a major data center in the works, about which more in a moment, that is to say data. Many companies contend that they are helping to open up the deeply conservative society. They showed the Black Panther at a repurposed concert hall last year, lifting a 35-year ban on movie theaters. 
See? See what we're doing? There is serious money to be made from working with the kingdom that lives off the world's most profitable company, Aramco. It, dis- it generated $111 billion in income last year. That was more than Apple, Shell, and ExxonMobil combined. Maybe we want to do business there then. You know, it's nothing personal, says the managing director of the BCG Energy Impact Center, a Washington-based consulting unit. It's just business. Tell me you're not surprised. And now, ladies and gentlemen. More data. More data. We need more data. Come on. More data. More data. Huh? Get some data for me. More data. More data. More data. We need more. More. News of more data. The Parenting Club Bounty. I had no idea they existed before they got into the news this way. But uh, I pay tribute to them by reporting this piece of uh, newsworthy information. They've been fined uh, about uh, half a million dollars for sharing its data with marketing agencies without the permission of users. Bounty offers support and advice to new parents who sign up through its website and mobile app or are directly recruited on maternity wards. Without securing consent from those parents, the company sold their information to data brokers including Axiom, Equifax, and Sky, according to the British Information Officer, British Commission, the Information Commissioner's Office. From June 17 to April 18, Bounty shared approximately 34 million records with 39 organizations. And that's just what the company admitted. The unlawful sharing was aggravated by the personal nature of the information about potentially vulnerable new mothers or mothers-to-be and very young children, including the date of birth and sex of a child. It uh, ended before the introduction of the new European privacy regulation, so the potential fine couldn't be higher than half a million. It's still among the highest ever. The maximum is now about 20 million. Bounty, we're not open or transparent to the millions of people that their personal data may be passed on to such large numbers of organizations. Any consent given by these people was clearly not informed, said the director of investigations at the uh, Information Commissioner's Office. Bounty's actions appear to have been motivated by financial gain. (laughs) What? Such careless data sharing is likely to have caused distress to many people, says the Information Commissioner's Office, since they did not know their personal information was being shared multiple times with so many organizations. Jim Kelleher, Bounty's managing director, admitted fault, but did not apologize. That's why he's not in the Apologies of the Week. See? It all makes sense. When employees at Lyft log on, into their computer to look up information about a Lyft customer or driver, a warning message flashes on their screen with a reminder their actions are logged and could be audited. That warning is just one of a series of changes Lyft has made over the past year to protect customer privacy. After someone claiming to be an employee said that Lyft workers were accessing the personal information of celebrities, lets me out, and stalking former romantic partners, lets me out, the changes followed an investigation last year by the company, Some haven't previously been reported. This is from The Information. The changes include limiting access to user information to only those employees who need it. (laughs) Uh, Please fill out this I need it form. Uh, And revising a process for employees to request access to user data. The effectiveness of the changes is unclear. 
The employees have described the enhanced data security measures as relatively minor, consisting mostly of formalizing training for new workers. Sit down here and watch this video. I'll be back in 10 minutes. No, that's the, that's the, that's the way the mechanics who fix uh, e-scooters are trained. That's the training for e-scooter mechanics. Watch a 10-minute video. Sorry, Lyft. Don't mean to uh, tar, tar you with that brush. Employee, employees, including people who were originally hired by outside contractors working for Lyft, are still able to look up a wide range of user information, including name and cell phone number. There's a lot in the database, said one employee who spoke on condition of anonymity because he's not authorized to speak to the press. It's fun to look up friends' feedback, he says. It's all fun. Lyft is the latest tech company forced to adjust how employees access user data, particularly sensitive data like location information or audio and video recordings. Now the issue is in the spotlight as regulators and the public pressure tech companies to improve consumer privacy protections across the board. Uber tightened controls over their access in 2016 after an article published by the Center of Investigative Reporting detailed how employees there had searched internal databases for information on celebrities such as Beyonce and used the information to track the movements of ex-lovers. So Uber and Lyft are pretty much the pretty simple. Uber has faced numerous allegations of misusing customer data after it became public that employees were able to access sensitive customer information with the company's tool known as Godview. Happy Easter, everybody. The tool allowed some employees to see in real time the locations of specific Uber customers currently on a ride. Amazon, which owns Ring, the, uh, the doorbell that's connected to the world, relies on hundreds of entry-level employees at the company's R&D lab to review and monitor customer video feeds. Where is that lab located? In Ukraine. Ring doesn't explicitly tell customers that they use their videos to improve the doorbell's image recognition capability. Well, that's your neighbor, Bill. I And it's in response to an investigation by the information, Ring says that only a small fraction of customer videos are used for that purpose. Companies argue this sort of access is necessary for, them, for their employees to do their jobs. Because their jobs involve spy? I mean, but their growing reliance on huge teams of contractors who work with the data is raising some alarm bells with labor experts who, says, who say doing so makes limiting liability more difficult to manage. People who have access to customer data at Lyft include employees and contractors working in customer support, as well as identity, fraud detection, legal review, and internal security. The types of data they can access at Lyft include customer name, phone number, email address, and ride history, as well as feedback to and from drivers. Doesn't include a person's home address. Employees say that's relatively easy to determine based on where a user's ride history shows frequent rides begin or end. Huh. Many Lyft driver and customer support employees are based in its Nashville, Nashville office. They're relying more on full-time employees rather than contractors. Controls over user data in the industry vary widely, says uh, a um, guy who runs a website as a resource for temporary and contract workers. There isn't a clear industry standard to prevent, human ab to prevent abuse. It all comes down to human nature, he says. You, know, you can stop right there. <laughs> we know what that, where, where that deal goes. And... More data, more data. 
Facebook, just before the uh, Mueller report came out, uh, nice time to dump some news, began circulating in Washington and D.C. Facebook amended an online press release issued in March in which they admitted to storing hundreds of millions of user account passwords in plain text accessible to internal staff and also logging the passwords of tens of thousands of Instagram users. Now, this week, the uh, company revised that figure. It reveals that it massively underestimated that number. Since this post was published, we discovered additional logs of Instagram passwords being stored in a readable format. We now estimate that this issue impacted millions of Instagram users. But not enough data. Just get can get me some more data and we'll uh, we'll wrap her up right there and uh, let's ladies and gentlemen go to something more full of joy more full of the, uh, the really good parts of human nature let's go to the Olympics of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. This is from Scuttlebutt Sailing News. <laughs> I read it for the, for the title. When it comes to sailing in the Olympics, there's always something. The Tokyo 2020 Games are no exception. first instance came four years ago when the sailing venue in Tokyo Bay was found to be too close to the airport for broadcast coverage by helicopters. That required a move to Enoshima, a small island. But that traded one hurdle for another. Enoshima is a major fishing region, and in Japan the fishermen aren't receptive to sacrificing their livelihood for a sailboat race. Thus far, negotiations are proving difficult. And now, a new problem has surfaced. When the organizers of the 2020 Olympics became worried about the logistics of evacuating sailing spectators in case of a tsunami, <laughs> come on, they reduced the numbers from 5,000 people to 3,000, 300. Now, one of Japan's foremost crisis management experts says, that's still too many people. There are concerns it would take thousands of spectators at least one hour to reach the designated evacuation point for the area. Buildings along the route could collapse due to a quake. There remains fear that attendance numbers for the sailing events are still too high. So, assume the fishing conflict gets overcome and that... Um, Japan avoids earthquakes and tsunamis for the two weeks of the Olympics. The next problem is about sailors being able to avoid or to endure, sorry, the epic heat anticipated during the Olympics in Japan. While many of the outdoor events are being scheduled like early in the morning, Japan time, to avoid the strain on athletes, sailing competition, noon to six local time. Last year, air temperatures during that span 
saw highs in the 90s with high humidity. Hey, nobody said sailing is easy. But everybody says the Olympics is a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Scan of my ashes on Frenchman Street. Upset at the news, cut me loose with a sofa song, but don't play no old Frenchman street blues. Hitch me on right. On a river breeze to Elysian fields so green. Mm-hmm. I join the spirits that look down and smile on the back streets of old New Orleans. Dreams. The 
From somewhere lakeward of Frenchman Street, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Come on, you really should. Be good for you. Well, this will be marking the first time I quote a report from a publication called The Condor, Ornithological Applications. Hey, they got some great classifieds in the back. This is, um, I guess, filtered through Oxford University Press USA. A study in The Condor finds some sparrow species will go extinct. Daffy? Sparrow species? No will go extinct within the century due to climate change. Seaside and salt marsh sparrows, closely related species, among only five breed species that are almost completely restricted to coastal salt marshes for their entire life. (laughs) They must like salt. These sparrows' nests are predominantly destroyed by predators or flooding. Salt marshes are globally limited. Globally limited. Thank you, Tom. For about 30,000 square miles, with one-third of the total on... Our coasts here in North America were number one in salt marshes. Of the 25 species or subspecies limited to tidal wetlands worldwide, 15 are restricted to the U.S. Atlantic and Gulf coasts. Given rapid climate changes and other threats to salt marsh ecosystems, many of these species are in serious danger. This breeding range of the salt marsh sparrow, Virginia to Maine, they got 60,000 birds still. Sea level rise can negatively impact breeding seaside, and salt marsh sparrows by reducing the amount of available habitat. But I wouldn't worry about that. Not even the Army Corps has heard about that yet. And by increasing nest flooding areas, too. The high human population densities, in case you didn't notice, of the mid-Atlantic states also makes it difficult, make it difficult for sparrows to thrive in the region. So um, don't be buying no sparrow futures. But there's good news. There's got to be some good news. Researchers from the U.K. and Spain have identified an eco-friendly solid. They're doing us a solid. 
that could replace the inefficient and polluting gases used in refrigerators and air conditioners. That would be, that would be a thing. When put under pressure, plastic crystals of neopentylglycol, neopentylglycol, it's not as hard as it looks, neopentylglycol yield huge cooling effects, enough that they are competitive with conventional coolants. The material additionally is inexpensive, widely available, and functions at close to room temperature. The tales are published in the journal Nature Communications. Gases are currently used. Gases currently used in the vast majority of refrigerators and air conditioners, hydrofluorocarbons and hydrocarbons are toxic and flammable. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, when they leak into the air, they also contribute to global warming. They're also relatively inefficient says uh, one of the leaders of the research. That's important because refrigeration and air conditioning currently devour a fifth of all the energy produced worldwide, and demand for cooling is only going to go up. See, warming for the reason. To solve these problems, the material scientists around the world have sought alternative solid refrigerants. In the newly published research, uh, there are enormous thermal changes under pressure achieved with uh, these plastic crystals. Conventional cooling, I'm going to get into the weeds here for a minute. Conventional cooling technologies rely on thermal changes that occur when a compressed fluid expands. Most cooling devices work by compressing and expanding fluids such as these HFCs and HCs. As the fluid expands, it decreases in temperature. Solids do it another way. Cooling is achieved by changing the material's microscopic structure by applying a magnetic field, an electric field, or just through persuasion. No, through magnetic force. Mechanical force, sorry. The chemical is already widely used in the synthesis of paints, polyesters, and plasticizers and lubricants. It's widely available but inexpensive. Neopentylglycol. NPG, we call it. Get some today. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Some, some good news on this holiday weekend. So back to the Mueller report for a second. Um, one thing that, obviously the two sides are engaged in furious argument at this point um, over virtually everything except the commas. But um, one thing that's made pretty darn clear, if you read, and I, I, I have read this section of it, um, just in the hope that there were pictures, there weren't, but you know, you didn't know until you read it. Um, the um, the veracity of what comes out of the mouth of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She had said at the time that James Comey was fired as FBI director that she'd heard from countless members of the FBI that they were happy that they didn't like Comey. She told Mueller's team when she was under oath, that was a slip of the tongue, even though that same comment was repeated by her several times in the days following Comey's firing. So her, her tongue apparently slips repeatedly, maybe habitually. In a separate press interview, she recalled that her statement, that her statement in a separate press interview that rank-and-file FBI agents had lost confidence in Comey was a comment she made, quote, in the heat of the moment. And additionally, it was not founded on anything acknowledging to investigators the comments were baseless. Not 
founded on anything. Something not founded on anything might have a flaw in its causation. You need a graduate course to locate its source. It happens to have no foundation. Campaigns now against microplastics. Public awareness is growing. 
about the outsized effect plastic has on the world's oceans. However, its effect on the air is far less obvious. Plastic production, use, and disposal all emit prodigious amounts of greenhouse gases. Scientists haven't really had a firm grasp on the scope. Stand on a box, maybe. Oh, I see. Now researchers at UC Santa Barbara, that's a party, oh, have determined the extent to which plastic contributes to climate change and what it would take to curb these emissions, the results appearing in the journal Nature Climate Change. This is, to our best knowledge, the first global assessment of the life cycle of greenhouse gas emissions from all plastics, said the author. It's also the first evaluation of various strategies to reduce the emissions of plastics. Plastics have surprisingly carbon-intense life cycles. Of course, they come from petroleum, which requires extraction and distillation. Then the resins are formed into products and transported to market. All of these processes emit greenhouse gases, and the carbon footprint of plastics continues even after we've disposed of them. Dumping, incinerating, recycling, and composting all release carbon dioxide. All told, the emissions from plastics in 2015 were equivalent to nearly 1.8 billion metric tons of CO2. Researchers expect this number to grow. They project the global demand for plastics will increase by some 22% over the next five years. <laughs> we're done. We're baked. This means we'll re- need to reduce emissions by 18% just to break even. If we truly want to limit global mean temperature rise... There's no room for increasing greenhouse gas emissions, not to mention substantially increasing greenhouse gas emissions like what we projected for the life cycle of plastics, says the lead author. They evaluated, uh, he and his colleagues, evaluated four strategies for what to do. Recycling, the simplest solution. Emissions reductions from eliminating the need for new plastic outweigh slightly higher emissions that come from processing the scrap. Currently, 90% of plastic goes unrecycled worldwide. You could try it. Scientists have uncovered the first strong evidence that the amount of plastic polluting the oceans has risen vastly in recent decades by analyzing 60 years of logbooks for plankton tracking vessels. That's got to be a good gig. The good news is you're a captain of a ship. The bad news is you're tracking plankton. Data recorded by instruments known as continuous plankton recorders. (laughs) Somebody got paid to think up that name. Ships have collectively towed millions of kilometers of them across the Atlantic. Well, have collectively towed them across millions of kilometers. Showed the trackers have become entangled in plastic objects such as bags and fishing lines roughly three times more often since 2000 than in previous decades. Think how the plankton feel. This is the first time researchers have demonstrated the rise in ocean plastics using a single long-term data set, says uh, an oceanographer. Ooh, I don't know if he was involved in the research, but he says he's excited. <laughs> so the findings are unsurprising. Long-term data on ocean plastics have been scant. Previous studies looked mainly at the ingestion of plastic by sea creatures over shorter time scales. But CP- CPRs, unlike what you're thinking of, are torpedo-like devices that have been used since the 30s to survey plankton populations. Nobody asked the planktons how they feel about it or the plankton. I think plankton is the plural of plankton, isn't it? Last year, a report by Credit Suisse warned that there could be more plastic than fish in the ocean by 2050. Would you like some grilled plastic with some butter and lemon sauce? In March, a dead whale washed up in the Philippines with 88 pounds of trash in its stomach. 
Now, uh, one of the most visible contributors to the mess is supermarket packaging. But a market in Thailand has come up with a very natural alternative, banana leaves. Vietnamese supermarkets are following in their wake, substituting uh, leaves for plastic wrap. So let's go there. And microplastics are not only in the water. They're in the air. By most metrics, Pyrenees Mountains can be considered pristine wilderness. Many parts of the range between France and Spain are remote, hard to access, and sparsely populated. But thanks to wind patterns, the Pyrenees have been a, a sentinel of pollution for decades. Centuries, really, according to a report published in Nature Geoscience. Samples from Lake Bottoms and peat in the Pyrenees. You remember peat in the Pyrenees? He's running for... No, different peat. Contain lead and remarkable levels of arsenic from industrial activity stretching as far back as 685 A.D. Metal pollution from the Bronze Age has also been found in boggy land in the mountains of the Pyrenees. Stay away from those bogs. Our century's contribution to the Pyrenean pollution portfolio, microplastics. A team of researchers from France and Scotland spent five months a couple years ago, winter season, regularly sampling a remote patch of land high on the French side, far from any human settlement. No, there weren't even any French there. They concluded that each square meter of land accumulated around 365 pieces of microplastic per day, carried on the wind to their resting place in the wilderness. Researchers couldn't prove exactly where they came from. That's where ancestry DNA comes in. Based on the lack of nearby population centers, they wrote the plastic must have come from cities up to 82 miles away, sorry, 62 miles away, places like Barcelona. There's no place like Barcelona. Come on, quartz. They noted that fine orange dust from the Sahara also regularly falls on the Pyrenees, so the microplastics could conceivably have come from even farther away. Longer-distance transport modeling may be possible, say the researchers, but how far microplastics can sail with air currents remains a mystery. We all like a mystery, don't we? And now... The Apologies of the Week. No mystery at all. We're so sorry. Speaking of ancestry, the Canadian outpost of this genealogy site, Ancestry.com, Ancestry.ca, has taken down an ad that was criticized for appearing to romanticize slavery. It was deemed an irresponsible retelling of a reprehensible history. The commercial, part of a Canadian ad campaign, a black woman and white man duck into a side street where he presents her with a ring. Abigail, we can escape to the north, he says. He continues, there's a place we can be together across the border. Will you leave with me? The ad ends without a clear answer. Postscript is a mock-up of a marriage license. Not made quite clear whether she's uh, a slave or a free woman of color. The portrayal does imply the couple is having a forbidden affair for the time period. Not clear whether it's fictional or true. It's an ad. Why would it be true? It was uh, canceled. It had only aired a few times in Canada before it was removed. 
Ancestry is committed to telling important stories from history. This ad was intended to represent one of those stories. We very much appreciate the feedback, and we've received and apologize for any offense the ad may have caused. We're in the process of pulling the ad from television and have removed it from YouTube. Many accuse the heritage and genealogy, genealogy side of romanticizing slavery when all they're really doing is capturing your data. The um, two parents who uh, imprisoned and beat and starved their 13 children have apologized for the treatment of the children. David and Louise Turpin. Father's lawyer read a prepared statement saying, My homeschooling and discipline had good intentions. Enough about them. On March 14, 1891, a mob of thousands stormed a prison here in New Orleans. Demanding blood, the city's police chief had been shot to death. Hundreds of Italian-Americans had subsequently been arrested in connection with the murder. Nineteen had been indicted, but for the vigilantes, due process didn't matter. After six acquittals and three additional mistrials, they stormed the city jail and proceeded to brutally murder 11 men. Last Friday, the mayor of New Orleans officially apologized for the event. Mayor LaToya Cantrell issued an official proclamation of apology to the Italian-American community. What happened was wrong, and the city owes them and their descendants a formal apology. This attack was an act of anti-immigrant violence, said Mayor Cantrell. All we have to do is apologize for the WAP salad. YouTube apologized on Monday for mistakenly linking the massive fire at Notre Dame Cathedral to the 9-11 terrorist attacks. The video giant said a new tool for battling misinformation made the wrong call when it displayed text from Encyclopedia Britannica about 9-11 in several videos of Notre Dame. These panels are triggered algorithmically, and our systems sometimes make the wrong call, said a YouTube spokesperson or a spokesrhythm. We are disabling these panels for live streams relating to the fire. The algorithm is supposed to display information panels with links to third-party sources that are supposed to be credible. A Patascala, Ohio church has posted an apology video after students attending a youth gathering there put up videos of children slapping, spitting, and cuffing, sorry, cutting a pastor. The incident took place at an after-school hangout at Impact City Church. High school and middle school students spend time doing such things as listening to short gospel messages. It was meant to hit students, hip students learn about Easter and the crucifixion. But uh, associate pastor... Jadius Dempsey led the uh, event, chose to use an illustration to explain a very important topic about the crucifixion, but the illustration went too far and it was inappropriate, said his boss. Many of you disgusted, many of you were hurt by us, many of you were very confused on why this would be taking place at a church. There's really no excuse for why it happened. Dempsey apologized, said the idea was his, and that he crossed the line. The Boston Athletic Association apologized this week for a breach of protocol including the, involving the American flag near the finish line of the Boston Marathon. A tearful Hong Kong celebrity, Andy Hu, apologized after a newspaper published footage of his apparent, apparent dalliance with an actress that was captured on a camera installed in a taxi. You'd want to know about that if there was a camera in your cab, wouldn't you? That was Hong Kong, though. And Dateline Columbia, Missouri, the Boone County Office of Emergency Management apologized a couple days ago for inadvertently slamming users with dozens of weather alerts from other parts of the country like they care. The apologies of the week. Turn off those notifications, won't you? The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week on the radio at the same time, on the same station, fingers crossed, on your other audio device of choice. When you say the wake word, <laughs> wake me when you say the wake word, would you? And it would be just like not having a wake word, if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks for help with today's program. Also, thanks to Pam Halstead and to Garrett Pittman here at WWNO for their assistance. The email address of this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, oh boy, and a playlist of the music you hear here, all available at harryshare.com. And me, thank you for asking, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Sharer. Happy Passover, happy Easter, happy the rest of it. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans.